Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, did you see David Parker's Twitter attack over the weekend targeting Pierre Polyev, his wife, Anita, and his advisor, Jenny Byrne? The Take Back Alberta founder got super personal, basically declaring war against the federal conservative leader. So what's his end game? Can he possibly win this fight? Or does the Twitter attack mark the beginning of the end of his group's influence? We get into it with Charles Adler. His answer might surprise you. Plus, Chuck tells us which part of the Trudeau interview most jumped out at him. And we take a look at that plebiscite, that pride flag vote in Westlock, Alberta. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Thanks for joining us on this uh, episode of Real Talk. Looking forward to getting into it with Charles Adler in uh, just a quick second. Of course, he joins us first episode of every week. It's been, uh, what, five days since we talked to the Prime Minister of Canada one-on-one and still unhinged reaction from the Prime Minister's loudest opponents online. I've been looking forward, honestly, every single morning. I've been waking up. I've been like, do we get to talk to Adler today, Johnny? Is it today we get to talk to Adler? <laughs> He's feels ready like to go. <laughs> he is chopping at the bit. It feels like it's been an eternity uh, since we've had his... Uh, take his chance to, to get into what the prime minister had to say about unpopularity uh, in particular in western canada how he's wrapping his mind around or responding to polls that suggest that his days in that top job are numbered he had some fighting words for the oil industry coming up on tuesday's episode coming up tomorrow by the way uh we're going to be talking about that'll be our february 27th uh issue episode we're going to be talking to the ceo of a company that's doing a ton of innovation in alberta's energy sector He'll respond to what the prime minister had to say. So so this is great. You know, we plant the seeds with a big interview with the top dog. And, oh, then, yeah. and then we'll check in with a whole bunch of people and say, well, what do you think about what he had to say? Well, he had your industry in the crosshairs. How do you respond to this? And of course, as Johnny pointed out on Friday, it was an interview that's been making national news for a number of mm-hmm. days now uh, in the newspapers, TV stations, and of course, other outlets across the country. So we're grateful for that. Plus, we're going to get into some of your emails. So I'm gonna, the tweets have still been coming all week. Weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had to step away from them. I had to turn my notifications yeah, off. Yeah, man. Well, it's out of control. And, and I was like, it's family time. I'm going to be spending some time with my boys here. Um, Good on and, you. you know, Good and, on and, you. and one can only be called a cock so many times before he shuts down his Twitter for the <laughs> a day. But liberal a, cock. A liberal cock. Uh, a beta cock oh. uh, by some of the people. Yeah, they really know how to to, to throw the hand grenades. Um, and we've got some emails as well to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We might read a couple of nice ones, but we'll read some really nasty ones. Number one, for every everyone's entertainment yeah. and number two just to give you an idea of just exactly how difficult it is for some people to wrap their minds around why a talk show would <laughs> interview the prime minister of canada it's for our entertainment as well for our entertainment as well plus david parker the founder of take back alberta with an absolutely bonkers tweet over the weekend taking aim at pierre poliev speaking to poliev's wife referencing poliev's uh, chief communications czar like it's it's unreal We're going to touch on the town of Westlock voting to get rid of pride flags for real. They're actually going to be painting over, getting rid of, sandblasting their existing pride crosswalk. But it's not everybody in Westlock. This is a town divided. Like 1,300 votes, the vote was decided by about 20. Uh, And I'm going to get Chuck's take on that, plus your responses to our roundtable on Friday on how to solve homelessness. So this is going to be a great episode, and we're grateful to have you here with us. It wouldn't be happening without the support of our friends from Rello who are presenting this episode today, and they've got a pretty clear message for those of you 
of you that are feeling stuck or unsatisfied in your job. Now is the perfect time to go back to school for a new career. You're like, well, what do you mean? It's not September. It's not the fall. That's back to school. Uh Uh-uh. With Rello, you can launch your career in real estate with their affordable online courses anytime. They make it super easy to pass your exam, get your real estate license, and basically get started setting your own hours, being your own boss with unlimited earning potential. How good does that sound? Plus, you'll be helping people every day as they buy or sell their homes. There's a ton of benefits for you. They have basically tutorials every Saturday online, so they want you to pass with flying colors. And then once you graduate with that license, they're still there for you with ongoing support from their learner success team. You can learn more today. And by the way, sign up 20% off with the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you get started at Rello, R-E-L-O dot C-A. Emmy award-winning talk radio legend Charles Adler in just a quick second. Uh, If you're one of those that hasn't yet seen or heard our Trudeau interview, uh, we're going to be getting into a few of the different uh, subjects. We took on some of the different themes of that conversation, uh, including his acknowledgement that he's not always the most popular politician in Western Canada, in particular in Alberta. Johnny, why don't we tee up that clip? Here's, Here's a quick snippet of our conversation last week with the Prime Minister. Maybe I start with a huge disadvantage because my last name is Trudeau and people are ready to just, you know, automatically ignore me anytime I show up uh, anywhere where they don't like me, fine. But I am not going to stop showing up. I am not going to stop investing in Alberta. I'm not going to stop making sure uh, that the country sees that Alberta also has a lot of thoughtful progressives that want to fight climate change, that see the opportunity and the prosperity that comes in from you know, being smarter about carbon emissions, creating technologies that the world's going to rely on, and make sure that as the world reduces its consumption of barrels of oil in the coming decades, there is still room for Alberta barrels of oil to be part of that solution because we have successfully decarbonized, because we have higher labor standards, because we have higher environmental standards. Those are the things that consumers around the world are going to be focused on and worried about. And that's where Alberta gets to build that success and that leadership in Canadian energy for decades to come because the world is changing. And it's not a plot by Eastern bastards. Mm. Uh, It is a focus on where are the global investors coming in? What are they looking at? The, the world is looking at net zero right now. Alberta can be part of that, but right-wing ideology is getting in the way of Alberta's success. That bomb right there, right-wing ideology getting in the way, of course, drew the ire of Alberta's premier. We've been in touch with her office, by the way. We'll be speaking with Danielle Smith shortly, just after the Alberta budget's out. Charles Adler joining us this morning. Chuck, he said, Alberta, 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 Alberta. You'd think he actually is trying to hang on to the seats they've got in this province. I think I think he's in campaign mode. And by the way, my name is Charles Adler. I am an Eastern bastard. <laughs> I'm also a communist, and I am originally from the planet of Pluto. Pluto. I'm still lobbying uh, for Pluto, and I'm lobbying for communist plutocrats that run Pluto. Okay. Are these all the things that you've been called on the Internet over the yes. last 72 hours? Is that what we're getting into? Yeah. Hey, I like I his admit, nod. I, I must admit, uh, Ryan, in my in my senior years, I'm getting a little lazy. I have uh, turned off my, my Twitter replies because I decided oh. with, with all of the, the, the stuff in there, um, you know, m- much of it uh, coming from, from bots, of course, it's just become a bad neighborhood that I don't have. Like none of my followers want to live in that neighborhood called replies. And so I've just uh, put them on pause for a while. I, I don't know how, how long uh, I'll stay on pause for, but I've, I've got to tell you not reading replies for the last week. I, I'm not just talking about my reply 
replies anywhere, not reading replies, has been absolutely refreshing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I was uh, walking the dog yesterday. I was out in our neighborhood, and uh, this guy walked past me like three or four steps, didn't recognize him, never seen him before. Yeah. Big guy, too, about 6'4", big broad shoulders. And, uh, and I kind of looked back, and he stopped, and then he heel-turned, and I went... Oh boy. Cause I just kind of felt like I knew, I just felt like I knew, like we had made eye contact and I thought, where's this going to, now I did have a dog with me. So I was like, anyway, I yeah. say that in jest. Turns out he was a wonderful dude named Kyle. I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, he's a regular real talker and, and he said he appreciated the Trudeau interview. He said, listen, he said, I'm, I'm probably not going to vote for Trudeau. He goes, I'm not like, I'm not a necessarily a liberal voter. He goes, but I have to say, number one, uh, I didn't think you were that soft on him. He goes, question number one, you, you said you're predicting a bloodbath in the next election, but he, but he goes throughout the thing. I thought it was a fair interview. He said it reminded me, Kyle said it reminded me of the value of hearing people out and hearing different perspectives. And Kyle said, well, he, he may at some point, you know, or most times even lean toward voting conservative. He, he said he's kind of seen some nasty elements on both ends of the extreme of the spectrum, as he put it. Wow. And he felt like this interview kind of restored his faith in the in the process of conversation. Ryan, most people are moderate. I mean, I jo joke about being a, you know, a, a communist cuck from Pluto because I'm just making fun of, you know, pe people who, who fill the reply section. But most people aren't in the reply section. Most people aren't anonymous. You know, most people have, have real names. Most people aren't extreme. You know, when you, you know, we're going to talk about Parker in a few moments, uh, no doubt. And we can talk about the people who are bashing a Trudeau and we can talk about some of the people on the left who bash the right. The, the point is that most people do not want to get involved in politics. Most people don't even want to appear on shows like this where the host is eminently fair, where you bend over backwards to be fair. Most people just don't want to get involved. Social media is part of that. But because most people who are moderate do not want to get involved in politics, they don't want to organize meetings, they don't want to sit on school boards, they don't want to sit on council, guess what? Nature abhors a vacuum. I'm not anti-science, okay? Science informs us that nature abhors a vacuum. There is a vacuum. The moderates have left, okay? They vote, but they're not involved. And so if the moderates leave, the vacuum is filled with extremists, be they left or right. That's what's going on in 2024, and this is not going away anytime soon. This is the, this is the life that we have to live in. But we have to remind ourselves that just because we hear people on the extremes does not mean that they represent the majority, okay? If people out there are saying that teachers in Alberta are castrating uh, children or they want to castrate children, we have to understand that every one of us has a teacher somewhere in our family, somewhere in our neighborhood, somewhere in our friendship circle. None of them are fantasizing about castrating kids. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not believable. It's ludicrous. But but sometimes maybe it just takes people to call that out. And I don't know that most people do. I don't know why you would shut off your Twitter replies. It's straight. I can't imagine why you would, Charles, because I received just such valuable and edifying feedback. I pulled a few uh, from over the weekend just to give you an idea of what I thought just was just the just the precious nature of social media. Uh, what about this one from DKF who watched the interview or maybe didn't watch the interview? Ryan, you suck and are a traitor to Canada. You're done in Alberta media. Terrible. You should be ashamed of yourself. 
What about this one? Uh, You're a clown, Ryan. If you think Trudeau's good for Alberta, if you're a complete fool, move to Ontario with your clown wig and your big red (laughs) shoes, you traitor. What about this? Uh, Earmuffs, kids, uh, referencing my Edify cover. Uh, Prince of podcasting. Yeah, more like cock of cunts. I appreciate that from Ermine Warrior. And what about this from Jeff Larson, who says just simply fuck you, Jesperson, you liberal scumbag. So I don't know why you wouldn't find value in that, Charles. I mean, I just felt like... I grew not, an inch taller way, every it, time I read one of those. It's not that I'm offended by it. I, I'm an entertainer, okay? I'm a pure entertainer. Yes, I'm a commenter and a political analyst and all those wonderful things. You know, I wear a lot of hats. Occasionally, I wear the, the, the real talk Ryan Jesperson hat as well. But the point is, as an entertainer, I know that the number one law that destroys audiences isn't extremism. It's boredom. And the major reason, you know, from a personal perspective, I say I'm getting a little bit lazy. I'm getting a little casual. I'm getting a little comfortable. My point is that I'm bored with those things. I mean, how many how many times can you be called a a, a cuck cunt uh, without saying to yourself, "My God, if this if this person is serious, the person needs help, but the person is just trying to get clicks." And all I'm doing by posting all those replies is giving them a platform. It's 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 boring for me. It's of no service to the audience. It is a service here, you know, for a few moments on a podcast to, to make fun of them. But in general, what is what is the bloody point of, of watching a, a bunch of people who are horrible at entertainment? They're horrible at communications. They're 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 impersonating other people who are horrible. And frankly, it's a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the fun part for me has has been just basically the sort of the, the response as well to this poll of ours. You know, the poll that asked who you'd rather yeah. have a beer with. This is getting more play, arguably, than the interview with the PM, to be honest with you. Uh, the poll, uh, we asked wow. who would you rather have a beer with. About 26,500 people responded. 60% of them said Justin Trudeau. 30% said Pierre Poliev. Uh, Max Bernier getting overlooked, by the way. Seven and a half percent wanted to have a beer with Mad Max, uh, which would actually probably be a wild experience. You know what you'd find? You know what you'd find if you had a beer with Max Bernier is that he's very, very normal, and he'll just say mm-hmm. or he'll just say or do anything to win political I, favor. Like I, I know Max Bernier. That's what you'd find with Max. Reason, I know Max Bernier. The only reason Max Bernier comes across as a loser is because he has lost. He has lost political battles. He came very close to uh, defeating Andrew Scheer. Had had. You know, I'll get the chocolate milk out in a moment. Had had Maxime Bernier put the chocolate milk up to the camera li- like I do, uh, he would have defeated Andrew Scheer. It was uh, Ma- Andrew Scheer was staying faithful to the the dairy lobby and the other lobbies, the so-called cartels. And uh, there's a there's a term for it that I, I never like to use the official term for it. But the point is, he was he was against there is supply management. Okay, what a terrible term. Anyway. He, uh, Maxime Bernier is a libertarian, or at least at the core, he's a libertarian, and he was against supply management. And in Quebec, that is a losing position. Andrew Scheer was was for the dairy cartel and the chicken cartel and the pork cartel, all the other cartels. And so he beat Maxime Bernier. And ever since Maxime Bernier lost to Andrew Scheer, Maxime Bernier has become more and more foolish and more and more extreme. But he's he's the same guy, and he's actually he's actually a good guy. You know, I mean, a lot of these people are are good guys, but they they end up, you know, they, politics they poisons the well, man. That, that's what we're dealing with. Politics here. poisons the well. That's what well, it po- is. Po- politics politics makes people, you know, play Halloween every day. I mean, as I've said a million times, I have lots of respect for the mind of of, of Danielle Smith. I have lots of respect for the heart of Danielle Smith, the real Danielle Smith, who I know. Mm-hmm. But people like David Parker and others have 
have have turned Danielle Smith into a bit of a, a cartoon character. Well, if, if, Dan, if the real Daniel, if the real Danielle Smith decided one day to govern and didn't have all of the pressures that she has from David Parker and others, I'm sure she'd be one of the, the best premiers that any province has ever had. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's, let's go to Parker. We can come back to the other stuff because this sure. tweet uh, over the weekend, absolutely wild. Uh, this is the founder of take back Alberta. He's been on this show before David Parker. A lot of people are like, who the fuck is David Parker? But, but you know, he's, a, he's pulling strings behind the scenes, whether you like it or not. His group basically controls the board of the United conservatives. And he does influence the premier, whether or not she agrees or acknowledges that. I mean, the, the whole trans policy stuff, the whole like sex ed changes. I mean, this is a nod to David Parker and take back Alberta to keep the right wing flank happy. So over uh, the weekend, he tweets out of nowhere. This knocked my socks off. He says, I feel sorry for Anita Poliev. This is Pierre's wife. She has to watch her husband spend hundreds of hours a month with his old friend with benefits. I'm sorry your husband doesn't give you the respect you deserve, Anita. No man should be spending that much time with a woman he used to sleep with if he's married. Uh, of course, David Parker talking about Jenny Byrne, who uh, is responsible for a lot of Pierre Polyev's success, selling memberships and yeah. winning the conservative leadership. But like, wow. Yeah. Well, the big the biggest benefit of Pierre Polyev's relationship with Jenny Byrne and Jenny may be surprised when, when she hears me say this. Jenny Byrne is, is one of the smartest political strategists in Canadian history. So the, the benefit of knowing Jenny Byrne is you are getting strategy that is bound to be successful in most conservative writings and among most people who are likely to be members of the conservative base and others. Jenny Byrne is just a a whip-smart individual, no different than Danielle Smith is a whip-smart individual. But both of these people over the years has moved, you know, further and further to the right because that's where the conservative base has moved to. And so that's the big benefit of knowing Jenny Byrne. But as far as going after Pierre Polyev's uh, personal life and, 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 and you know, targeting and, and Twitter stalking uh, his wife, as it were, it, you know, I mean, when, when I read those tweets, and I know David Parker isn't a, a Taliban, so I just want to separate reality from, from once again, uh, cartooning and this idea that every day is Halloween in, in Canadian politics and American politics and politics around the world. David Parker, when he sends a tweet like that, he comes across like he's the morality police. And that does remind people of the Taliban, you know, what, what goes on in Afghanistan and, and what goes on in Iran and what goes on in some other countries. And that's as un-Albertan and un-Canadian as it gets. And for people in Alberta who think of themselves as libertarians, what is libertarian about David Parker lecturing people on who they should be spending time with, especially if it's a woman, especially if it's a woman that he used to go out with, especially if it's a woman he used to sleep with? Why are we even talking about this? Well, I mean, the, the comment is wild, uh, it, but but in my mind, like the bigger picture, like let's dig into what this actually means. Like Parker's not been afraid to be an asshole to people like he was horrific to I mean, you know, I sometimes even hesitate to be honest with you uh, to even shine light on this type of stuff. But it is happening and it's in the open. So we're going to talk about it. But Sarah Hoffman, Alberta NDP leadership candidate yeah. like uh, David Parker was tweeting horrific things about Sarah Hoffman. Um, I just think like the smallest people like the just the smallest losers uh, fat shame and sort of boil somebody down to their appearance. But that's exactly what Parker was doing, a full fledged assault basically on Sarah Hoffman over a number of days right around the time she was announcing her leadership campaign. Uh, he went after Nahed Nenshi just last week. 
former mayor of Calgary, um, who was voted like sexiest man in Calgary on this like fun throwaway magazine poll. And Parker started going, you know, how does somebody that looks like that get voted sexiest? And then Nenshi kind of responded and then she fed the trolls a little bit. So then Parker over the weekend, they have this, you know, Zoom meeting for Take Back Alberta on video. He apologizes. Um, we're not going to play the video, but he apologizes in the video. People can dig it up themselves to to part to members of Take Back Alberta says, I know that what I've been doing here is a bad look for Take Back Alberta. So I apologize. And then what? 24 hours later, throws an absolute Molotov cocktail at the leader of the federal conservatives uh, who many people believe, uh, if you believe the polling, if you believe he can maintain the men- momentum, the, f- the future and next prime minister of Canada, uh, Har- or, I mean, it just to me, uh, David Parker taking aim at Pierre Polyev like this, as I tweeted about it over the weekend, this feels to me like the beginning of the end of David Parker. You know, it, it, what, what do they say? If you come for the king, you better not miss. And I feel like here he's bitten off more than he can chew. What do you think? Well, I think that David Parker loves publicity. I think fundamentally he is an attention whore. And he's not alone. He's just, he's just better at it than most people. But what's interesting to me about David Parker isn't that he seeks attention and he sends out crude tweets and then offers, you know, whatever apologies. I mean, nobody, nobody who's truly apologetic follows up the apology a day later by, by stalking uh, you know, the perhaps the, the next prime minister's wife. Okay, so the, the apologies are not real. Much of this stuff isn't real. However, what does make David Parker a little bit different from all of the other attention whores is David Parker has serious, very serious, and from Danielle Smith's perspective, critical power at the level of the grassroots. David Parker is willing to do what most moderate people aren't is willing to do whatever it takes to organize, whether it's organizing for, for school board level politics or organizing for provincial level. And I guess now he wants to get involved in very much in federal politics as well. But nobody can look you in the eye, Ryan, on, on your show, uh, whether they're on a webcam or that whether they're in your studio. Nobody, left, right, middle, can look you in the eye and say, David Parker is an insignificant, powerless individual. He's very significant. He's very powerful. And if you're asking me the central question, will the tweet storm over the weekend take him down? My prediction is no. All right. Well, we'll see because he's basically, I mean, you know, he, he's building this group uh, and, and obviously take back Alberta. I don't know what they, I remember last time I saw they claimed 30,000, 40,000 members, something like that. But people can underestimate that group at their own peril. They've already basically taken over Alberta's governing party, uh, you know, politically speaking. But the, the thing for me is, is like, uh, you got to sort of try to connect the dots and figure out maybe what Parker's end game is here. And when we tweeted over the weekend that you and I were going to be talking about this, got some interesting notes from people that wanted us to, to sort of hone in on something in particular. And there's a theory out there. It's just a theory. OK, but it's OK for shows like this. You won't see this on the six o'clock news, but shows like this. You tell me what you think about this theory. So, so here's a, a photo from August of 
2022. For those listening on the podcast, it's it's Pierre Poliev, uh, who's meeting with uh, police officers in Vancouver on the downtown east side. Obviously, uh, obviously, uh, Vancouver's downtown east side is kind of uh, ground zero for uh, the opioid crisis in Canada. If you look at, at Mr. Poliev meeting with those police officers, I'm zooming in. Can, can you see between the two cops there, the guy that's looking at the camera there? That's Marshall Smith. That's that's Daniel Smith's chief of staff. Okay, now there's, there's some speculation that David Parker, who's a big fan of Marshall Smith. So check this out. Here's another tweet, right? David Parker says, I'm proud of the premier. This was in January of last year. Proud of the premier and my friend Marshall uh, when they were announcing uh, addiction treatment measures, which is a good thing, by the way. Um, This is a good thing. It's all part of addressing the opioid crisis. I'm not taking shots at recovery at all. But here's David Parker praising Premier Daniel Smith and his friend Marshall, he says. Recovery's key. Uh, Marshall Smith has a, a, a very public history of uh, overcoming addiction himself. He used to live on the street. Now he's the chief of staff for the Premier of Alberta. Here's another one from Parker. Here's a tweet uh, in October of 22. Um, you know, Daniel Smith uh, promoting a documentary. Uh, says my very own chief of staff, Marshall Smith, is in this documentary, bravely talking about his own struggle with addiction, his personal journey of recovery. David Parker tweets, Mark, Marshall Smith is an inspiration to all of those of us who are in recovery. So I guess the theory is that Parker's got his eyes on the chief of staff spot or a senior executive spot in the Polyev office. And to do that, believes he's got to get rid of Jenny Byrne so Marshall Smith can make the move in. And that's where I think a lot of people are trying to connect the dots of why on earth, why on earth would David Parker take aim at Pierre Polyev or Jenny Byrne like he did over the weekend? I mean, it's an interesting theory. I mean, there's a there's another theory that uh, people have that uh, David Parker and perhaps Danielle Smith, but certainly David Parker, uh, thinks that it's a whole lot easier to beat up on Ottawa uh, for as far as the eye can see, if it's a liberal in Ottawa, like your guest, the right honorable Justin Trudeau last week, if Justin Trudeau wins that election, then they can beat on Trudeau for another two years, three years, four years, depending on whether it's a minority or majority government. But if Polyev is in there, that prevents them uh, from bashing Ottawa 24-7. I mean, how do, you, how, do you, how do you get away with that if you're, if you're Premier Smith? How do you get away with with bashing uh, Polyev all day long and blaming uh, Polyev for whatever whatever ills may exist in Alberta, whatever deficits may exist? I mean, ideologically, it's so much easier. Uh, no different than uh, certain uh, people who are politically active, uh, media active, and uh, they don't want uh, someone of their own stripe and power because uh, it's just so much easier to be righteous, to wrap yourself in the garments of righteousness by opposing somebody as opposed to defending somebody. If, you, if you're a, if you're a, a right-of-center host, uh, you might want Trudeau in power for as long as possible because you can attack, 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 attack. And if someone like Polyev is in power, and obviously everyone who gets into power, uh, there, you know, stuff happens, uh, and uh, you have to answer for the stuff that happens. And if you're a right-wing talk show host and you want to be in the good graces of the conservatives, well, you end up having to defend the conservatives all the time. Defending is not as much fun as attacking, and defending also sometimes doesn't get you the same ratings as attacking does. So I just want to throw all of that into the mix because this game, and yes, it is a game, folks. It's a blood sport and it's a game. This game is played all kinds of ways by all kinds of people. Never assume that David Parker wants Pierre Polyev and the Conservative Party of Canada to win the next election. Don't make the mistake of assuming that. Yeah. Merck Barr in our live chat on YouTube says this is basically the Canadian version of The View. 
Uh, thank you. I'll take that as a huge compliment. Um, is is Whoopi Goldberg still on the View? Who's still who's yes. on the View these days? Yeah. I have no idea. I, feel I like believe I, she I, is. I feel though. like I need to get back into the View. I haven't. It's just like we don't have these lazy afternoons like we used to, Johnny. Living <laughs> the corporate radio life, I miss that. Um, this is an interesting one from Akhet in the live chat. It says terms like Prairie Taliban or Christian Taliban are problematic because they rely on anti-Muslim stereotypes to describe extremism. I'll take that point. Uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting point. I heard, what, what was it? Someone once said, Ku Trucks Clan. You could go with yeah. that. For the, I don't know. If you want to pick another word, uh, if that's perceived or coming across as anti-Muslim. Uh, I, I like when we learn a little bit from people putting valuable notes like that into the chat. Um, Chuck, well, I have, you know, because of my, because of my personal uh, history, just in terms of uh, people over the years that I've had, uh, you know, contacts with, uh, friendships, uh, relationships, uh, uh, people I've tried to help. Uh, I do have a significant amount of real estate in my heart for Muslim women, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to apologize. I, here it is. I'm sorry, I won't apologize, but I will not apologize uh, for talking about the Taliban the way I do because I've never met a Muslim woman who saw the Taliban as a friend. The Taliban is not a friend of Islam, and it is certainly not a friend of Muslim women. And when I talk about uh, someone behaving like a, an Alberta version of the Taliban or a Canadian version of the Taliban, I am not attacking Muslims. What I'm attacking is authoritarianism. What I'm attacking is people who feel they have to lord it over women. And in these most recent tweets, that's what Parker is doing. He's lording it over the woman who happens to be married to Pierre Polyev, and he's lording it over one of the smartest strategists in Canada who has been a tremendous asset for the Conservative Party of Canada, and that would be Jenny Byrne. So He's Talibaning women, and I make no apologies for looking at it that way. Uh, Peter says, I think we're all forgetting something. Parker is an Alberta sovereigntist. He wants Alberta to be its own country. He says, I believe that this is the first major shot across the bow uh, at the CPC, at the Conservative Party of Canada. Peter, absolutely, 100%. Um, James says coup d'etat was the term at one point, but, th but that was like George, what's his face? And But that was never like, like Sharon here says, I, I remember a time when family was off limits. Um, and that's it too. Like, I don't know, going after guys' wives. I mean, I had, I had some people even sharing those mean tweets from earlier. Some people coming after my family, coming after my, you know, my, my wife, my mom. I'm not even sharing those on the show. Uh, you know, I, I just, yeah. I mean, it just, it, it crosses so many lines. It's just insane. And, and I do think that it's important for us to, like, it's never going to be normal. It's never going to be normal for the head of a, of a powerful lobby in Alberta to say what he said about the wife and the strategist, uh, you know, connected to the most powerful conservative politician in Canada, arguably. Uh, I just think it's nuts. And I think it's important that we do talk about it and we do point it out. We're going to hit pause for 10 seconds, Chuck. Uh, when we come back, I want to, I can tell you want to pick up on that. So we'll do that. And then I want to take us to this, this small town of about 4,000 people. I recognize a lot of you uh, have found Real Talk in the last while. A lot of you are not from Alberta. Uh, you may have heard of Westlock for the first time uh, in the last few days it's because they had a plebiscite. The town held a plebiscite. About 1,300 people voted. The vote decided by just 24. Uh, it, was, it, it was just by a hair. And if you ask me, 
And a lot of empathetic people uh, not only did that vote go in the wrong direction, but it, it's a real tough look for Westlock. And, it, and it's hard to imagine walking a mile in the shoes of somebody uh, gay, uh, lesbian, bi, trans, you name it, uh, living in that town. We're going to get to some of the response to that and pick Chuck's brain on that plebiscite coming up in just a quick second. Uh, this conversation is happening with the support of Real Talk partners like our friends at Apex Automation who are looking to hire the most skilled engineers in Canada right now. If you're feeling stagnant in your job, you feel like you're not reaching your full potential. Potential, they would love to talk to you. Check out the careers link at apexautomation.ca. They're building a culture there where amazing people like you can do your best work. You take a look at the biggest projects, the biggest industries in Canada. They are helping automate those industries and they are growing their company in a big way. A lot of learning and development opportunities, huge perks and benefits and the company culture second to none. Start the first step towards your next step in your career journey at apexautomation.ca. Have you heard what's going on with uh, this is uh, Civic Service Union 52 in Edmonton? Uh, this is a really big deal. Uh, these are the 911 operators, uh, 311 operators, rec center staff, library staff, animal control, you name it, a whole bunch of them. But if you can check out their website, edmontonforeveryone.ca, you're going to find that over the last five years, wages for more than 80% of their members have been frozen. So taking inflation into account, which is no joke lately, that's obviously a pay cut. They're your community members, your neighbors. They have families and they're looking for your support as they pursue a fair and equitable workplace. They want you to get City Hall's attention. You can urge the city to avoid a work stoppage by checking out edmontonforeveryone.ca. This message is presented by Civic Service Union. That's CSU. 52. At Friesen Brothers, uh, number one, a quick heads up, March 1st is coming. You know, the first of every month, it's 15% off all grocery purchases of $75 or more. That's obviously huge for families. Uh, but before then, uh, through the end of the month of February, Friesen Brothers is proud to support the University Hospital Foundation in fundraising for the place we all call the MAZ. That's the Mazinkowski Alberta Heart Institute. They've got a ton of great options for heart-healthy products in their flyer. Just check out the February February flyer either online at Friesen.com or in store, or you can directly go to Friesen.com slash heart month as we all pursue healthy eating habits. Thanks to our friends at Friesen brothers. And although, and this is sort of dating this episode, but while we just saw 20 or so inches of snow dump in the last 12 hours, it's not too soon to start thinking about your spring or summer landscaping project. If you want your yard, front, back, or both, to be first in line when Eden Landscaping gets shovels in the ground this spring, you can seize that advantage by getting the conversation started with them today. Help them bring your outdoor space to life. A custom landscape builder, more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area, they reinvented our backyard for us last summer and knocked our socks off. They can do the same for you when you get the conversation started with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Chuck, I felt like I stepped on your toes there heading into that quick promo break. Did, did I interrupt a thought you wanted to make to wrap up that conversation? No, it, it's the, the, the Westlock business uh, really, uh, you know, bothers me in here once again. And of course, people are going to say, well, you know, he's a communist cuck for Pluto or whatever. But the thing is that I am hopelessly moderate. I'm hopelessly normal. I, I don't apologize for that either. I, I'm, I'm an egalitarian. Every, every person has uh, equal value. Okay. I do believe in that, but I also believe that we have a right to make judgments about how people treat other people. And so over the many years, whether I'm broadcasting or podcasting, I've said to people, if, if you want to hate on Muslims, think of me as a Muslim. 
You want to hate on black people, think of me as a black person. You want to hate on indigenous people, think of me as indigenous. You want to hate on women, think of me as a woman. And if you want to hate on gay people, bisexual people, trans people, think of me as any or all of them, only to make this simple point. We're all equal, and we have equal weight in terms of everything that we are as human beings, and we have equal value, and we have equal dignity. It bothers the hell out of me that any community in this country, I don't care whether it's in Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario, we're all equals in my mind. I love this country. Everyone knows why I love this country, and I would die for this country. And I can't stand the idea that certain people, and I guess David Parker is the one that we've been talking about, but people like Parker and other so-called grassroots advocates, in the name of God, in the name of God, want to harm, because that's what it is, harm minorities, thinking that most people who are members of the majority don't really care, don't really identify, and might even be somewhat fearful of minorities, it's the easiest way for them to gain political power. And that's what's happening in this town of Westlock. And I just, it just, it just, it just bothers the hell out of me. So it's a town of 4,800 people. Um, I've spent time in Westlock. I have friends that live, I have family that lives in Westlock, about 4,800 people there. Uh, this was a plebiscite. Basically, you know, it, it doesn't say specifically, it's, it's not like the pride plebiscite, but it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not called that, but that is what it is. And so town residents were voting on, on whether or not flags other than, you know, your classic, like the town of Westlock flag, the Alberta flag and the Canadian flag, if any other flags can fly on their flagpoles on public property. And, 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 you know, 1,302 people showed up to vote in that plebiscite. So call it a third of the town ish. Uh, and, and of that, the vote won by just 24. I mean, it, it's basically split down the middle. 24 votes out of 1,302, Chuck. Um, not only will they be saying no, saying bye-bye to pride flags or any other flag flying, if it's breast cancer month, whatever it is, they're not going to fly it there. Um, they're also going to get rid of a pride crosswalk that's already installed, which is, to me, the optics of that always suck, seeing somebody bring out the sandblaster or painting over it. It just kind of, right? It's like, it's, I don't know, it's more than a metaphor, but it is. Like it just says a lot. Um, Randy Boisno, liberal member of parliament, uh, the first openly gay MP, I believe, uh, in Alberta's history. Um, he's uh, obviously the jobs minister now, but he's been uh, uh, held a senior role in the prime minister's office as an LGBTQ uh, special advisor. Um, he grew up in Alberta uh, and uh, was born in a small town, and he posted a pretty powerful video uh, just just basically speaking to the people in Westlock, speaking to people in Alberta, and I wanted to share it. This was something about the University of Alberta uh, that I had never heard before. So here's Randy Boissano. A signal like no political, it has to be new, politically neutral uh, signage does. It says, if you're different, you're not welcome here. I left Morinville because as a queer kid, I knew I'd never be able to be myself. And when I came to the University of Alberta, it was no great shakes. There were days at the University of Alberta where it was no jeans day. And you know what no jeans day meant? If you put on jeans, it meant you supported the LGBT community. It meant you were queer. And so there were entire days where entire faculties wouldn't wear jeans to go to university. That was the Ralph Klein Alberta. We are not going back there. And so this cannot continue. It is beyond disappointing. It is a step backward. And it is a very narrow vote. 
No Jeans Day. Johnny, have you ever heard of that? The U of A? That was news to me. No, I've never heard that. I guess that's no. kind of part of the point, though, right? Yeah. It's, it's like not on our radar. I uh, appreciate Randy saying that, but, mm -hmm. man, that's messed up. Chuck, had you heard that before? I heard the, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of that, and I remember, you know, launching uh, talk radio in Alberta in uh, 1989, and uh, the, the letters I got in those days, it wasn't email. It was uh, letters. Uh, the letters I got uh, from people... Uh, who had experiences in, in smaller towns in Alberta, all of whom were incredibly faithful to our show, Hot Talk. And some of them had horrible experiences because they were gay. Some had horrible experiences because they were trans. Many, most of the horrible experience letters I got for, were from women uh, who were married to religious men, some of whom were prominent in their communities. Um, so it, I, it was really um, uh, an eye-opener for me and I would say something that, that bloodied my eyes and has impacted on me uh, for my entire life. I, too, always had a, a romantic um, view uh, of small-town Canada, no matter what province we're talking about. And I was absolutely stunned to know about some of the stuff that was going on in these, uh, these small towns where people who were minorities, and yes, women were minorities, not because of their numbers, but because of their power. Women had less power. Gay people had less power. Uh, people of color had less power. I know some people don't like these terms, but I've got to be specific. Otherwise, I'm not really communicating, am I? And it really bothered me that people in these pastoral, beautiful-looking towns, they, they, they looked like they were all, to me, they all looked like pictures of, you know, pictures you see on Hallmark Hall of Fame cards. Every one of these towns in Alberta looked like a, a Christmas card to, to my eyes. But I had no idea of what was going on behind closed doors in some of those homes, and it was horrific. And for many of these people, the only way they could actually survive was to leave the town and to go to the, those big bad cities that some politicians in small towns like to throw rocks at. But I'll say it right now. Thank God for Edmonton. Thank God for Calgary. Thank God for the larger towns in Alberta that have become homes to these people who are from those small towns where they were not allowed to tell anyone publicly what was going on privately. They shared those stories with me, and I love them all. Ken says Westlock's losing like 50 people per year. Uh, Population-wise, this isn't exactly policy that young people want to hear to invest in their lives there. It is a tough look for the town. Seventh Pilot says, hey, democracy has spoken. Um, you know, others say, you know, Linda says pride or any other political emblems. You know, part of me is tempted to say pride is not political, but you talk to <laughs> pride is very political. Uh, unfortunately, it has to be. But Linda says pride or any other political emblems should have permission of the taxpayers of that municipality. Number one, no. Uh, I mean, if that's can, can I argue a conservative print? Linda, can I guess maybe how you vote? Um, what sort of fiscal conservative would endorse a plebiscite every time a town's going to put a flag up the flagpole? You got to be kidding me. Um, are we going to start like asking people and polling whether or not Christmas trees can go up at City Hall? Like, like how serious do we want to get here about going to the public every time there's going to be an expression outside of flying the Canadian flag? Uh, you know, Peaches says Westlock does the democratic thing regarding public property and Jespo and Old Man River lose their minds. How shocking. Uh, you know, the democratic thing. Okay, fine. People organized on this plebiscite. I bet you a lot of people in Westlock probably 
underestimated the importance or the significance of voting on that. Maybe some people are so sick of all of this that they're just not participating in anything anymore. They're sick of fighting with their friends and neighbors over things like pronoun disclosure and sex ed and pride flags and everything else that they're just withdrawing back into their own homes. They're in their own bubbles. And quite frankly, there's a big part of me that doesn't blame those people one bit because it is exhausting. But the fact of the matter is there are young people in particular but other human beings, our brothers and sisters, our neighbors and friends, uh, that for them, this is very significant and this is very personal. And that's why I think it's important to talk about it. Look, uh, my heritage is Jewish, and that's, I guess, interesting to some people. But the thing is, I have lived in a predominantly Christian world all my life. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the, the people who coached me to debate it doesn't matter to me, but, you know, the clients, uh, the listeners, uh, the viewers, the people who inspired me, the people who mentored me. I know far more about Christianity than I do about any other religion, including the religion that's involved in my own heritage. And the Christianity that I grew up with, whether it was in the States or Canada or elsewhere, was all about charity. It was all about helping the downtrodden. It was about walking the walk of Jesus. And I'm just telling you, as, as a person who grew up inspired by Christianity, and clearly I, I still am, okay, it just hurts my heart that has been informed by Christian values to see so many people wrap themselves in Jesus and work as hard as they can to oppress minorities. I do not pretend that I can speak for Jesus, but this, the, 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 this the, you know, when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? I don't believe that Jesus would be organizing a referendum to make sure that a particular minority, in this case the gay minority, feels as oppressed and as marginalized as possible. I will never believe that the Sermon on the Mount and what happened in Westlock have anything in common. Uh, Wise Kyle says, I don't get how being Jewish has anything to do with being LGBTQ. We're talking about groups that have been marginalized and persecuted for who they are. It's pretty obvious, Kyle. Uh, other people here say, Lawrence says, negative people can gather together to drive votes. Jen says, the flag to support Ukraine. Like, would that be allowed? Absolutely not, Jen. She says, a Christmas tree? Like, th those aren't neutral, are they? No. I mean, ask Jews. Ask people that don't celebrate Christmas. Ask people that have a real problem. Like, ask them if that's neutral. It's not neutral. Now, people are going to say, oh, now it's like the war on Christmas. It's the war on Christmas. Well, who's the one that picked the fight? Who's the one, right? People, you know, Alberta Girl says they didn't outlaw flags on private property. They outlawed them on public property. Sure. Like, are we stop we're not making community statements of support anymore? Like, we're not going to light the high-level bridge anymore? We're not going to light up our buildings anymore to stand in solidarity, to stand We're not allowed to do that anymore? What about this? Dr. Christopher Wells uh, tweeting over the weekend. There was a group out of the States that actually had had uh, organized a big a pride campaign. These lawn signs that say pride lives here and everyone is welcome here. And uh, out of the States, uh, they've just learned that, that they're going to be shipping a whole bunch of these leftover signs. I guess they've got a bunch left over, Chuck. Um, and the, the, the group that actually produced those signs stateside is, is footing the bill, the postage. Uh, the freight to ship those signs up to Westlock. So I'll be curious to see how many Westlock residents put those on their front lawn. I suspect it would be more than a few. I think, uh, you know, I've always believed that, you know, one door closes and, and another one opens, and this is an opportunity for the good people of Westlock to respond. Responsibility is all about how you respond to stuff, often bad stuff. 
This is giving Westlock a bad name. I'm counting on the good people of Westlock to figure out how to turn this into an opportunity to show their generosity, and in many cases, I'll say it, okay? Don't care how politically incorrect this is, to show their Christian compassion to the gay community. Charles Adler joins us, first episode of every single week, bringing his unique brand of Canadian common sense. Uh, he's probably more active on Twitter, whether or not he's reading the replies than anybody else I know. You can give him a follow there at Charles Adler. We'll talk to you again in a week, pal. Hey, between now and then, Alberta budget will be out, so we'll have lots to talk about. God bless, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks, pal. Charles Adler, only here on Real Talk. I want to get to a couple more emails on the, uh, the Trudeau interview, and then we've got a love letter um, I want to read a love letter today, John, uh, to, to, a, to a chicken shop. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've got a love. We're going to wrap up the show with a love letter to a chicken shop All right. today. But first, I want to put Athabasca University on your radar. If, if you're one of the Canadians that knows, you just feel this burning deep inside that you got to get back to school. You, you've got curiosities that need to be satiated. you got skills that need to be honed. But you feel that there's some maybe some barriers in the way. You, you don't live anywhere near a university or maybe the cost has been a barrier in past or, or maybe you're a parent or maybe you're caring for your parents, uh, you couldn't make a regular schedule work, Athabasca University is designed for Canadians like you. And the numbers tell the story. You know, the more than 92% of their alumni, of AU alumni, say they're in a job related to their field of study. How wild is that? They've got over 50,000 program and course alumni from more than 100 countries. You can select your path, learn more about financial assistance, online grad programs. They've even got an MBA program there. It's getting a lot of attention. Uh, check out AthabascaU.ca. Are you ready to finally get serious about decluttering, getting organized, a custom closet, a home storage solution? is your best bet and nobody does it better than California Closets. You can uh, sign up, request a free consultation by checking out their website, californiaclosets.ca, or you can give them a call, 855-481-4072. Learn more about their approach to what they do. John and I are going bonkers over their Murphy beds. They're the coolest thing about the Murphy bed. I don't know if I can describe it for people on the podcast. Imagine a wall with a bunch of shelves on it, and then when it comes down, like, you know, the Murphy bed coming out of the wall, you don't have to clear the shelves. Mm -hmm. The shelves pivot on a hinge so nothing falls off and tucks neatly under the bed talk about going from home office to home guest room in 10 seconds california closets can make it happen for you again californiaclosets.ca and a shout out to our friends at complete care restoration for more than a quarter century they've been in the business of restoring properties and rebuilding peace of mind if you find yourself in a nightmare situation a burst Pipe, maybe flood damage, uh, maybe it's a fire damage through fire season. They're expecting this spring to be an absolute mess. Black mold, asbestos, whatever it is, Complete Care Restoration is the trusted expert in providing safe, efficient, and compliant solutions. Don't mess around with this stuff on your own. Go to the team that has certified professionals to handle restoring your biggest investment, your home or business. Remember, you can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Sure, appreciated. Uh, our inbox has been slammed, obviously, over the past few days, and we're doing our best to stay on top of it. Uh, those of you that are writing in to talk at ryanjesperson.com in response uh, to our sit-down with Prime Minister Trudeau, I want to read a couple of nice ones. I'll read a nasty one, too, to balance it out. Uh, Anne wrote in to say, I just finished listening to your interview with, with Trudeau. You held him to the task. 
Uh, and he in turn showed passion. A lot of people are saying that showed passion mm -hmm. uh, for what he's doing for all of Canada, but in particular for Alberta. Uh, Anne says, I hope every Albertan hears, listens to the conversation you two had. Uh, of course, the Take Back Alberta folks will damn every word. Uh, but, you know, said I, for one, she says, really appreciated every word that was said. And thanks to Real Talk for being you. Thank you for challenging assumed topics that emanate from people's mouths. We need more of those challenges. That from Anne. I uh, want to let you know again, just to confirm, tomorrow we've got a senior executive from an oil sands innovator coming on the show to respond to Trudeau. Should be a good conversation. Uh, Deborah says, I would love to see Pierre Poliev on your show, Ryan. I want to be clear. Uh, this is Ryan talking. We have reached out directly to his press secretary. Uh, we've invited Pierre on several times, but we reiterated our desire to speak to him. Um, we're hoping that they'll get back to us. Obviously, the door is wide open for Pierre Polyev anytime he wants to come on the show. Uh, Deborah says, I certainly like Trudeau more than Polyev, um, and I'd probably have a glass of wine with the prime minister, not Polyev. Uh, but from my view, I think liberals have been generally good for the country. Uh, she says, but I don't consider myself to be a liberal, um, and I'm not a conservative either. This is my issue, says Deborah. Uh, she says, I've been listening to that discourse podcast that Erica Baroudis and Cheryl Oates are doing, uh, and Erica kept throwing out that term, the left, the left. Deborah says, I see it used often, and even in your comments on your Twitter account about that Trudeau interview. And I have to think, like, well, what am I? Uh, Deborah says, I do agree with some of the policies that maybe the Alberta NDP or the federal liberals have. Does that make me left? Uh, does it make me right if I believe the government should have prudent use of taxpayer funds? Uh, I love this from Deborah. She says, I don't want to be labeled. I don't see myself as having a label other than a cranky old woman. <laughs> That's amazing. She says, I am in the middle and I want people to use common sense. Uh, I want common sense to be common, uh, not a political term like Polyev's using it for. These terms have become so politically charged. Our world is becoming more and more divisive. Uh, Deborah says, I'm from Calgary. I voted in the last municipal election. Uh, I wonder how many of these people running around finding places to sign that recall petition for Jody Gondek actually bothered to vote last municipal election. You know, what's happening to our society, says Deborah. And when all this shit blows up in our faces, we can't, you know, keep becoming more and more divisive with complex issues like climate change, affordable housing, affordable living, health care, education. These are problems that need to be solved. We need to work together to solve them, not politicize them. Deborah says, I want a province, a country, a world that'll provide a good life for my grandkids. And I just don't see it happening right now. I fear the world that there'll be adults in. And I wonder how many people are just tuning out, I guess, kind of like I was just saying to Chuck, because the pressures of trying to make a living or make a lives for themselves are just proved to be too great. That from Deborah. I thought that was a great email. Mm -hmm. I see where she's coming from. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't want to be left. I don't want to be right. And to balance it out, here's an email from... Trevor, who wrote in to me over the weekend, says having the prime minister show up in stealth and let it's kind of how it works with world leaders, man. Um, letting him spout off unchallenged was irresponsible, mean spirited and disrespectful toward Albertans. The prime minister is a coward. And of course, he had to arrange his own selfie with somebody he had pre vetted as a true fanboy. Congratulations <laughs> for being Justin's lackey that from Trevor. So you can't say we're just reading the nice ones. Mm. Appreciate that, Trevor. How about on Friday? We had a really, really impressive group here on Friday. Yeah, uh, we great. Had, uh, yeah, Jordan in from the, the Boyle Street. Um, we had uh, Dr. Gosh, who's an Monty Gosh, who's an addictions expert, and uh, the Chancellor of the University of Alberta, Peggy Garrity. And we were talking about solving homelessness. This is obviously a crisis in Canada right now. You can't ignore it. There's encampments everywhere. The police are busting them up. We've had, you know, obviously just to call them sub zero, zero temperatures doesn't do justice to to the, the frigid nature of what the outdoor elements have added onto this challenge 
Uh, we know uh, 300,000 Canadians are experiencing homelessness this year. Try to wrap your mind around that, 300,000. Uh, just in our home city alone, just in one city uh, in 2023, 300, more than 300 people died on the street in Edmonton, almost one every day. And so we asked the question, why is it so hard to solve homelessness? What do we have to do to solve homelessness? And we got a wonderful email here, but first I want to tee it up. If you haven't caught that episode of Real Talk, this is our Friday Real Talk roundtable. We do it every week. This is the February 23rd episode. Here's a quick highlight. We have equated people who are in the most vulnerable state uh, as being safety threats, as opposed to people who need our care and need our support. And, uh, and I think when you, the lens that you look at a problem matters. And when you're looking at it as a public safety problem, uh, then you're going to have a public safety response, which is what we have had to the encampment problem. It is the police taking the lead on a, a very, um, uh, a very sad and very complex social issue. Uh, and, uh, and that is probably not the most appropriate group to be doing that. 50% of the population who experiences homelessness has had moderate to severe brain trauma. Trauma. They have cognitive decline because of that. They have disabilities secondary to that. And yet we keep them on the street. We don't provide them housing. We don't provide them support. Housing is a human right. And people who have disabilities are, need to be prioritized for housing. We do that in the hospital. We do that for well-established individuals who come in, again, with traumatic brain injuries from car accidents or whatnot. Why can't we do the same for this population? We can solve this, that there are ways of solving it. We know what the solutions are. That makes it a little bit more frustrating that we're actually not doing those things. Right. But, but the fact, I think, some people in the community just feel like it's hopeless, that we, we just don't know where to start. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what we should be doing. Call your MLA. Call your member of parliament, send them a letter saying, look, we need to solve the housing crisis. We need you to do something. Uh, homelessness is a housing problem. It's solvable, but we need you to act. That was Tim Richter, who you heard last. He's the uh, founder and CEO of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. He joined us remotely. Uh, again, you can find that full episode in our podcast archive on our YouTube home channel as well. It prompted this from Elaine, uh, who says, I'm a community paramedic that works exclusively with our city's homeless population. Okay, consider the source of this email. Uh, it says, I want to thank you for moderating the Chancellor's discussion. I hosted the Chancellor's Forum at the U of A on the Thursday night uh, on sheltering the truth. That's what it was called. And for continuing that conversation on Real Talk. Elaine says, there's a few points I'd love for you to acknowledge and relay to your audience. Uh, as a blue-collar provider, I fight the stigma against homeless people every day, even within my own profession of paramedics. The concept of trauma and violence-informed care is a tough one to instill into healthcare providers, let alone the general public. Elaine says, what I see and deal with is shocking. Uh, we've been battling a Shigella outbreak, which has hospitalized hundreds of homeless people due to their living conditions, lack of bathroom facilities, and hygiene. Uh, Shigella is also known as dysentery, literally what people died of on the Oregon Trail in the 1800s. She says, I also want to point out that the number of amputations from frostbite that have been performed on homeless people, 91 amputations in 2022 alone. This is not just a finger or a toe. I want the public to know, and then she bold and underlines this in her email, people are losing their fucking hands and feet. Permanent disfigurement 
which allows for zero chance of recovery into a normal life from being homeless, but rather into further disparity. If you heard Tim Richter on the show, on the episode, talking about musical chairs as a metaphor for homelessness and chairlessness, who was it Alice, the gal in, in, in his model that was on crutches playing, playing musical chairs? Elaine says, I've also cared for patients with permanent disfigurement from traumatic burns, mostly caused from tent fires in an attempt to stay alive in a city with sub-zero temperatures for more than half the year. She says, these are third world conditions in the capital city of Canada's most prosperous province. It's embarrassing that we've allowed it to get this bad. We, the privileged, are despicable human beings to allow this disaster of homelessness to continue to villainize and to criticize the homeless for making this choice housing is the solution it is a human right that we have failed to provide with devastating consequences that from elaine what an absolutely incredible email i agree minus 30 today walking just two blocks uh from where we park our vehicles i was like the first thing i thought of was everyone who had a couple nice warm days of you know we went to the oilers game in our, yeah. in our jerseys alone the other night yeah and thinking of those people who who may have boxed up and bagged up some of their winter clothes and had to get them all out today. Uh, a shout out to our over 100 new uh, people in the chat today. Yeah, it's great to see on YouTube. Uh, Saucy Sea Witch, one of them I see, says each person is is one disability or accident away from becoming homeless. I think of that all the time. Like if I lost my hearing, what would I do for a job? Yeah. I, I may be homeless in just a few months. If I lost my vision, can't imagine. What man. would I do for a job? We're all like. We, we need to support this. We need to help homeless people because we are so close, especially today with the economy, with everything rising, the cost of everything. Everyone, every family is probably thinking about what they would do if they lost their job. If one of them lost a job, single parents, if they lost their job, what would become of them? It, it, it's something that could happen to anyone. And for a lot of us, it wouldn't be long. Not at all. There's a lot of people. You pull a paycheck away from somebody for two or four or six or eight or 12 weeks. Exactly. Your whole world changes. And a lot of us don't have savings right now because we've blown through it through sure. COVID. And everything's and more expensive. the rising costs of everything. Utilities yeah. are double. Groceries are more. Mortgages are more. Rents are up. Interesting conversation on this show uh, on, on, on rent caps and rent increases. By the way, Jody Callahoo Stonehouse is going to be joining us on Wednesday in studio. She will be the fourth candidate for leadership of the Alberta NDP, and that's something that we'll put in front of her. We'll get into, obviously, a lot. That's Wednesday in studio. She's going to join us. Tracy, quite rightfully so, responding to the to the note from Elaine about amputation, says, and what's the cost of that to the healthcare system? These people have serious healthcare needs for the rest of their lives. What are those costs versus housing? Tracy hits the nail on the head what about from laura who says there's an old fellow that walks around the superstore parking lot in red deer uh, it's so sad it's obvious he needs help he cries he can't speak quite right he he asks for money i gave him food says laura but he needs so much more kenny says what about having tougher sentences on drug dealers i mean sure but like that's not solving homelessness man um and and, and you know, I mean, I'm not saying that you go easy on drug dealers and drug traffickers in particular. Fentanyl's a huge issue. Canada Border Services, like this, Kenny, it's totally cool for you to bring this up. Obviously, 
Because you're not wrong. There's big problems at Canada's border. You know, people talk about how it used to be, Johnny, they would try to intercept like pallets mm-hmm. of, of coke and heroin. Mm-hmm. Pallets. Fentanyl coming right? from China. F- but fentanyl now, they, they say that, you know, uh, something the size of a pencil case mm-hmm. is enough to get the same people completely fucked up and, and to kill people. Car fentanyl. I mean, so we can get into that. But but cracking down on drug dealers does not solve homelessness. That's, that's not the same thing. And so in so many ways, as earlier on this show, when I said, I'm not cracking on, on Marshall Smith's story, it's actually a remarkable recovery story. This is Daniel Smith's chief of staff. And, and this government has a very real commitment to recovery, to detox, to rehab. Uh, we're going to be talking on Tuesday. I believe it's March 5th. Let me check the date. It's Tuesday, March 5th. So, so uh, Ewan Thompson has, a, has a, uh, an editorial, has a piece in the new Alberta Views, in the March issue of Alberta Views, uh, talking about detox. And he's cynical about whether or not that's the right move. He's going to join uh, noted conservative commentator, national commentator, Anthony Fury. Uh, Anthony and I have done a, a bunch of radio together over the years. So Ewan and Anthony, you're going to kind of debate this. We're going to talk about the opioid crisis and the right way to address it mm-hmm. coming up on Tuesday, March 5th on the show. It's not to say there shouldn't be law enforcement. There's not to say that we shouldn't crack down on areas that are problematic, but that's not how you fix homelessness. Not at it's all. It's not the same thing. <laughs> and when you talk about people's use of drugs and use of alcohol, mm-hmm. you have to acknowledge trauma. There was a, there was a huge, uh, amazing insights in our Friday roundtable talking about that. Yeah. We have to understand the difference between like root causes and symptoms and homelessness is a symptom of something else. Yeah. And people often think of drug dealers as like, you know, they're all these rich people driving around in BMWs. Some people deal drugs to feed their addiction just so they can get their own drugs for free. They're not selling ounces and pounds. uh, You know, they're getting a small amount. They're selling a bit to to the people in their community who are also addicted to feed their own addiction and sending someone like that especially a first-time offender, to jail for eight, nine, ten years, that is, in in my opinion, creating more homelessness. You've got someone who's now got a criminal record back out on the street who can't get a job, who can't find housing, and who is just going to go back to either selling drugs or using drugs again and be on the streets. Uh-oh. So, the, again... The the solution is recovery. Not to agree with David Parker here, Although, man, but the solution is to get these people help, to get them into housing, and to get them into drug recovery. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, uh, Sandra Busirius was one of the speakers at the forum, the mm. Chancellor's Forum. So Sandra didn't join us on our show on Friday, but the night before she was at the U of A. And if you go to our show notes uh, from that episode, you'll be able to. Uh, I, I'm talking about the uh, the episode that was on uh, February 23rd. You can link to the Chancellor's Forum and watch it. So she's doing. Um, Busirius is doing research, Johnny, at, at Canadian prisons, and mm. she can't say which ones she's doing the research yeah. at. It's obviously very confidential. She's talking to inmates, in particular inmates that are set for release. They're mm-hmm. about to they're about to be released. And you know what? The, one, of, one of the number one things that she's taken from her research is that a lot of people experiencing homelessness, a lot of people on the street are trying to get into jail. They're trying to get into prison because they feel more Free safe. Food? Because they feel more safe. Eat? Try to wrap your mind around this. Mm-hmm. They feel like there's a lower chance of being sexually assaulted in prison Jeez. than there is in the drop-in shelters, right? You want to talk about like general population, mm-hmm. these drop-in shelters, that model. You're talking to people that are acknowledging that work in the space saying these aren't working anymore. Sure. She gave an example of one guy. 
he was had a, a horrific toothache. Like imagine like life on the street. None of us can really imagine it. Like you and I talk about, we park about two blocks from, from our studio uh, and both of us. Cause you know, we want our hair to look great for our audience on mm. YouTube. So we don't wear toques. Yeah. And so I walk in here today and I feel like I almost had frostbite on my ears for Same. a two block walk. You yeah. imagine somebody that's sleeping outside all night. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way we can wrap our mind around it, let alone the trauma, let alone every, like there's no way we can understand but this fellow had a toothache and he knew that he needed it dealt with. It was to the point where the pain was, was unimaginable. And so he broke his, he, ha, he has like probation. Mm -hmm. So he broke the conditions of his probation to get arrested on purpose to get into jail. Okay. So he gets into jail and then he sees the medical services. And, and so they book him an appointment to get his tooth looked at, right? Like we're talking about basic human decency here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if we are, if we're serious about helping people get their lives back and become contributing members to society in the way that we understand it, then what are we doing? If we can't, you know, a Canada healthcare for everybody, this guy needs his tooth looked at and he can't get it. We'll get this. So he's set to be released. They have the date for him to go see the dentist. Mm -hmm. They release him the night before. <laughs> So he's devastated. So, so you know what he does? He goes out and does something else. He has to breach his conditions mm -hmm. again the second he's released to get back into jail mm -hmm. so that he can get to the dentist the next day. That's a story from Sandra Preserius that shared that at the Chancellor's Forum. That's, that's a real-life story uh, shared by University of Alberta researchers. So, so this is like what we're dealing with here. Um, and, and it's important that we, that we look into this and have these conversations. I know that this is lighting a fire under the live chat. Um, and, and I appreciate those of you that are making, you know, decent contributions to this conversation. It's something that we can't ignore. Uh, again, that'll be Tuesday, March 5th. We'll have a, a real talk round table, uh, a panel discussion, a debate, if you want to call it about Canada's opioid crisis. And, and we encourage you, uh, we encourage you to tune into that. How about something positive? Although this is kind of an interesting, this is going to be a, a bit of a different positive reflections as we wrap up this episode because it, it's based on something that's a real gut punch and it's kind of sad. Uh, but I want to give a shout out to a group of people, to an entire crew. This is my love letter to Northern Chicken. Uh, every Monday or the first episode of every week, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy give us a chance to sort of say goodbye to eschew negativity, as they say, harness positive energy, renew our faith in humanity. It's Positive Reflections presented by Kubi Energy. You know, over the weekend, I wasn't the only one that stopped off at Northern Chicken. It's been an Edmonton institution for seven years. The best damn fried chicken I've ever tried. Not to mention their Dorito mac and cheese, their Brussels sprout salads, their coleslaw, their cornbread. Oh, their cornbread with maple syrup. But they told us first when they shut down their shop on 124th and then this weekend, finally shutting off the lights on their 104th Street location just down from our studio, that that was it. Hell of a run, but they were just having a tough time making a go of it, and so that was it. Their swan song on Saturday night. Wyatt, Rudy, and I popped in for some takeout, said thank you to those Northern Chicken staff members that have been bringing us incredible service. Edmonton's best fried chicken over the past seven years. We wanted to give a shout out to them. But it's not just the chicken, Johnny. It's not just the restaurant. It's their involvement in the community. You know, when, when we were back on a Accidental Beach, you remember that? That that beach that came out of nowhere yeah. when the river was diverted yeah. while that bridge was getting built in Edmonton and all of a sudden Edmonton had a beach out of nowhere for a summer. Well, we called it the, I'm not going to say the radio station's name, but we called it the Endless Summer Accidental Beach Party. Northern Chicken donated donated chicken for 250 people that came down there to enjoy accidental beach and enjoy a little bit of fellowship you know charitable endeavors over the years mm -hmm. including our real talk golf classic 
both years we've held it, there was Northern Chicken donating the chicken, donating their time to make sure that as much money as possible could go to the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. They helped us fundraise for Movember. They've helped us fundraise for Alzheimer's. They've helped us fundraise for cancer. And that's just us, Matt has been in the community forever. Andrew, Jimmy, the founders of Northern Chicken truly understand community connection. And we wanted to use this episode, this edition of Positive Reflections to say thank you sincerely from the bottom of our hearts. We so wish that we could stop by one more time. I used to get 10 pieces of OG. That was the classic. (laughs) Of course, they had that mustard rub as well, which was delicious. And then the suicide hot. Uh, I never went there either, but nobody did it quite like Northern Chicken. And I mean, across the board, creating an inclusive space, blasting hip hop, despite the protest of passersby and never, ever, ever letting anybody leave without a smile. You guys are the best. We love you. We'll miss your shop. But whatever you do next, we'll be there to support you. Real Talkers, take this as your call to action. Go support a local independent restaurant this week and do it in honor of Northern Chicken. You can get a free solar quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on Tuesday's Real Talk, we'll talk to an oil industry expert who will respond to the Prime Minister Wednesday. Jody Callahoo Stonehouse Thursday, we're going to go to London. Journalist Sarah Loriniuk is going to talk to us about the two-year anniversary of Russia's war in Ukraine. And coming up on Friday's episode of This Week, a Real Talk roundtable responding to the Alberta budget. It's a big week, and we're grateful to have you here with us. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego, Human Resources Lena Shefford, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Ann Castleman, Ori Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.